Welcome to Answers from Antioch. You have joined us at the intersection of God's Word and today's world. This broadcast is brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. Join us as we examine information that impacts the church, the Christian, and the Christian home. Hello, everyone. Thank you for letting me have some time with you, and thank you to this radio station. Aren't you glad for radio? I sure am. I heard some statistics just the other day as the national uh, religious broadcasters groups are, are coming together. I heard information that over half of the world's population, now that's somewhere around 4 billion people, will listen to radio broadcast and religious broadcast sometime this year. Over half of the world's population has this wonderful privilege you and I enjoy. I love radio. I love broadcasting. I'm grateful for every radio station out there that's letting us have the opportunity to broadcast. I know those of you listening are grateful for radio as well. And it's just a blessing to know they're there. Well, this is something that you and I may have to fight for in the future. Matter of fact, the National Religious Broadcasters Association, which is the largest association of Christian communicators in the world, they have now filed an amicus brief in last week with the U.S. Supreme Court. And what that is is simply this. They have asked the U.S. Supreme Court to conclude that the government may never seek to suppress protected speech, adding that government officials cannot legitimately construct a rule of orthodoxy or any matter of public concern to limit free speech when it comes to the freedom of the press, the freedom of religion, and the National Religious Broadcasters has filed this and because uh, there's been efforts on the government to censor the speech of those on the radio, to censor the speech of those on social media. So I tell you what, never thought we'd have to fight for it in our land, but we're going to have to, and we appreciate these folks doing that. Now, in yesterday's program on Valentine's Day, we were talking about the love of God. And it's not just the love of God for us, but it's the love of God in us. And these national religious broadcaster organization here, and these folks who are putting out God's word on the airways so that half of the world's population, at least half, will be able to hear the good news of the gospel. These folks have the love of God in their hearts in order to want to do this. Why go to the trouble of filing a, a brief with the U.S. Supreme Court? Why go to the trouble of fighting this, that, and the other? Because the love of God in our hearts goes to that trouble. It will propel us along and keep us moving. We looked a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 at some of the descriptions of God's love in us. We know that Romans 5 and verse 5 tells us that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the sweet Holy Spirit. With a moment we're saved, the Spirit of God comes in 
and the love of God is in as well. When you get the Holy Spirit, you get the love of God, and He puts that in your heart. And it's a love that's described in 1 Corinthians 13 that is an absolute essential love. If I speak with the tongue of men and angels, it doesn't matter anything if I don't have God's love. Though I have the gift of prophecy and all this great wisdom and knowledge and faith to move mountains and still have no love, it's nothing. And then in verse 3, though I gave my body to be burned, though I made the supreme sacrifice and it was not the love of God motivating me, then it would make no sense at all. It's absolutely nonsense to do that. So these first three verses actually describe how important and absolute God's love is in us. And then how God's love accomplishes the work of God through us. That's in 1 Corinthians 13 and uh, verses 4 down through verse number uh, 11. And verse 4, he says, Charity, or God's love, this agape love, suffers long, and it's long-suffering, it's kind. Charity does not envy. Charity vaunteth not or doesn't boast. It's not boastful. It's not proud or puffed up. That's God's love in us. It's long-suffering. It's endearing. There's kindness in it. There's envious, doesn't envy, is not boastful, is not proud. Verse 5, does not behave itself unseemly. It's not rude. Boy, I tell you what, there's so much rudeness in the world. There's so much self-love in the world. Satan is the author of self-love, and that's all we see today. Believers certainly ought to be overwhelmed with God's love in their heart to where self-love is not there. But this love of God does not behave itself unseemly or rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. In other words, it keeps. It does not keep a payback record. How am I going to pay back for this? How am I going to get somebody back for this? I'm going to have revenge if it's the last thing I do. Well, that's not God's love working there. He goes on to describe that it rejoices not in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. God's love does not rejoice when others are chastened and when others are going through problems. God's love does not rejoice in that. And it bears all things, verse 7 sums it up, bears all things, believes all things, hopeth all things, endeareth all things. My friend, God's love bears up under the strain of everything. God's love in us, His love working in us, does this. Such so just some examples in 1 Corinthians 13 of God's love that's working in our hearts. And what does this love do? Well, the love of God in me and the love of God for me certainly ought to motivate us. 2 Corinthians 5 and 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. That word constrain is such a wonderful word. It's used several places in Scripture, translated a little different, but each translation tells us more about it. It's God's love for me, and God's love in me that motivates me. It moves me on. We see it mentioned in Luke chapter number 4 when Simon Peter's mother-in-law 
the Bible says, was taken with a great fever, overcome, completely consumed. You and I know that a fever consumes you. In Luke 5 and verse number 38, and Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, consumed with this fever. Well, that's the same word. Taken is the same word here as constrains me in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. The love of Christ, Paul says, constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. The love of Christ consumes me like the fever that took over in the mother-in-law of Simon Peter. That word is also translated in Luke 8 as to be crowded out. Here is a crowd that's thronging the Lord Jesus. Not only does the love of Christ consume me, but in verse of chapter 8 of Luke and verse number 42, that we see that the Lord Jesus was thronged by the people. Uh, he, Jairus, had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay dying. But as he, Jesus, went, the people thronged him. That's the same word of constraineth. It's translated thronged. It means they literally pushed Jesus along. They carried him along, pushing him along. Oh, it's the love of Christ that does that in us and through us and for us. There's more that we could say, but our time has slipped away now. May God bless you. Keep you safe till next radio time. Thank you for joining us today. We encourage you to visit our website at antiochbristol.com. There you will find many ways to contact us and connect with us and so much more. Until next time, stand firm in Jesus' truth.